sage. It is both a noun and an adjective. As a noun, it refers to someone who is venerated or someone who is revered for their experience, for their judgment, for their wisdom. Sages in the ancient world were people who were sought out for their advice, for their instruction in everyday practical matters. They were very uh, highly regarded for the guidance and for the insight that they could provide. Sage can also be used as an adjective to describe someone who is wise, someone who's thoughtful, someone who is full of understanding, and their wisdom has come through reflection. It's come through living. It's come through experience. In the prophet Jeremiah, there's a passage uh, that speaks about three different kinds of spiritual leaders prominent in ancient Israel. When people are crying out against Jeremiah, some of the people say this, For the teaching of the law by the priest will not be lost, nor will counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophets. Three different roles of spiritual leaders referred to the priests, the wise, the prophets. The priests were the one who taught the law of Moses to the people. Prophets spoke the word of the Lord to the concrete social and political realities of the day. But the wise were the sages who gave counsel from their observation of life, from their years of experience, and from a large acquaintance with the wisdom writings and the history of the people of God. Sages knew what to do. They knew how to act. And if you wanted to know what to do and know how to act, you went to them. One of the greatest sages, certainly of the Bible and maybe of all time, was King Solomon, who was the son of King David of Israel. As the law was to Moses, as the Psalms were to David, wisdom writing of the Bible was to Solomon. It was said of King Solomon that God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. That's 1 Kings chapter 4. It says Solomon's wisdom was greater than all the people of the east and of Egypt. It says he spoke 3,000 proverbs. I haven't spoken one. A proverb, a proverb is a short saying, very short, that provides wisdom uh, about living in some everyday practical matter. And there's an entire book in the Bible of this type of thing, rightly entitled Proverbs. Most of the book of Proverbs is attributed to King Solomon. Uh, not all of it. Parts are attributed to some other people, but most of it is attributed to him or certainly comes from his influence of other people. Proverbs is a sage book. Proverbs teaches us to be sage. You know, we all want to live well. We all want to do it right, don't we? And, and if you're like me, you don't want a lot of complication in trying to do it. I don't need a six-year course on how to live well. Um, 
And our lives are complicated enough that we don't need it in complicated ways. I mean, we want to do it the right way. We want to be successful. We want to live properly. We want to be happy. Uh, no life is perfect, but we certainly want to minimize the problems that we can experience and the pitfalls of life. Uh, one of the genres of books that are really popular, have become popular in the last 10, 20 years, are these books that are just kind of simple, easy reads on guidelines for daily living. For example, here's a title on the bestseller list right now. Well-being, the five essential elements. Apparently there's five essential elements to well-being. Uh, a couple other books, maybe you've read them. The Power of Two. How to make the most of your partnerships at work and in life. Boy, work and life. That's a lot of our lives right there. If we can get it happening there, that's good. Uh, another book, maybe you've read it. Simple Truths. Clear and gentle guidance on the big issues of life. And people are reading books like this by the millions, and, and rightly so. Because we want to know how to do this thing called life, and we don't want it to be real complex. Well, Proverbs was giving wisdom and insight and guidelines for living hundreds of years before any of these books were written. And people were reading and listening to the Proverbs and getting knowledge about life from them. Now, our he the, the Hebrew Scriptures, our Old Testament, is traditionally divided into three ways. We have the first part, which is called the Law or the Torah. The second part of the Old Testament is called the Prophets. And then the third part is called the writings. There are 13 books that are attributed that are called the writings. Here they come. They're coming fast. Psalms, Job's, Proverbs, Ruth, Song of Songs, Ecclesiastes, Lamentations, Esther, Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah, and First and Second Chronicles. Psalms, Job... Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, and Proverbs you will find all together in your Bible. These are often called the wisdom books, which is to say you're not going to find stories in there, really. You're not going to find history. What you're going to find are prayers and a lot of guidance and musing and thinking about life. The big things of life, for example, suffering, work, um, love, and romance. Friendships and relationships, use of wealth. And these wisdom books talk about now how, how does God, how do we work out God and how does God work with us in all these things that we face. And the book of Proverbs is just filled with short, pithy sentences about life in relationship to God. And there's kind of a, if you read the Proverbs, you're going to find there's kind of a random quality to them. There just doesn't seem to be a, an order. They skip around to different themes. Uh, nobody's been able to figure out why they're arranged, really, the, the way they are outside of who wrote them. Um, they're not topical, so to speak. So, as I preach through the book of Proverbs, I'm going to do it thematically, in that I'm going to take the big themes that are in Proverbs. We're going to jump around chapters, verses. We'll be here, we'll be there. Um, and these are some of the big themes that I have found in my reading of Proverbs. These are the kind of the big themes you'll find as you read. Number one, the fear of the Lord, which we'll talk about today. Number two, speech and uh, how we talk to people and to everyone. Uh, a third big theme is wealth and money. Anybody interested in that one? Mm -hmm. uh, a fourth big theme, relationships, including friendship. Fifth theme, intimacy, love, marriage. 
Sixth theme is learning, or what I call teachability. Are you teachable? And then uh, uh, final big theme, no surprise, God. Proverbs has a lot to say about who God is, how we understand God. Proverbs is one of two books that people find very useful in their devotional life. The Psalms is the other one, I would say. Um, In the Psalms, the Christian is on his knees. In Proverbs, she is on her feet. In the Psalms, we use them in devotions. Proverbs, we use them in our Christian walk. Psalms is for the prayer closet. Proverbs, it is said, is for the business place, the home, the playground. When I was a teenager, I didn't particularly like reading the Bible. But I knew if I had to read the Bible... And if I wanted to read the Bible on those rare occasions, I would turn to the book of Proverbs because it made sense. It was clear. I could get it. And wisdom is the main thing in Proverbs. Wisdom. And in Proverbs, wisdom is personified. She's personified like a woman calling out, speaking to people in the streets and in the marketplaces to come and to find her. Here's an example in chapter 1, verses 20-21. It says, Wisdom calls aloud in the street. She raises her voice in the public squares at the head of the noisy streets. She cries out in the gateways of the city. She makes her speech. We hear wisdom speaking to us, telling us the things that will go well, make things go well for us, and the things that could really mess us up. In Proverbs, wisdom isn't just a list of good ideas, but it is, it, it, it's like a person speaking to us. Wisdom is seen as the life-giving, eternal power of God. In chapter 3 of Proverbs, it says it's by wisdom that God created the heavens and the whole world. Jews understood the wisdom of God to be the reason of God, the word of God by which he used to create the world. God's wisdom was in the world to, uh, to create it. And, and, and remember John's gospel, how he begins it? In the beginning was the Word. Well, John says that the Word was with God and the Word was God. And Jews would understand that the Word of God was the wisdom of God. John, of course, was writing of Jesus Christ. And it's as if he's saying to the Jewish world, if you want to see the Word of God that created the heavens and the earth, If you want to see the wisdom of God that calls out in Proverbs and that sages pointed to, if you want to see this wisdom of God that gives light and life to every person, then look at Jesus. He is the wisdom of God. He is the reason of God. He is the power of God. Christians believe that God's wisdom became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2, That in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. As a matter of fact, if you read Proverbs, every time you see the word wisdom, just do this. Just replace it with the word Christ, Jesus Christ. And just see how it reads to you. I think it will add a a layer of depth uh, in in reading of Proverbs. It will make it even more alive. Wisdom. Boy, that's what we need. And if we can get that, Proverbs says, then, then I, I tell you, a lot of things are going to be okay. But wisdom's a little hard to find. Job, Job asked this. 
Where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? Man does not comprehend its worth. It cannot be found in the land of the living. The deep says, it's not in me. The sea says, it's not with me. Cannot be bought with the finest of gold, nor its price be weighed in silver. Wisdom can't be bought with the gold of Ophir or with precious onyx or sapphires. Neither gold nor crystal can compare with it, nor can it be had for jewels of gold. Coral and jasper are not worthy of mention. The price of wisdom is beyond rubies. The topaz of Cush cannot compare with it, cannot be bought with pure gold. Where then does wisdom come from? And where does understanding dwell? It is hidden from the eyes of every living thing, concealed even from the birds of the air. Destruction and death say only a rumor of it has reached our ears. God understands the way to it, and He alone knows where wisdom dwells. For He views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he established the force of the wind and measured out the waters, when he made a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm, then he looked at wisdom and appraised it and confirmed it and tested it. And he said to humans, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. If wisdom is the theme of Proverbs, then the motto is the fear of the Lord, is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord. You want to be wise? You want to be sage? You want to know how life works and have successful living? It says, fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. The phrase is used 18 times in the whole book of Proverbs. And it appears in other books of the Bible, too. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Because when I hear the word fear, I think of terror. I think of being scared of someone. Are we supposed to be scared of God? Whereas the Hebrew word for fear can mean dread and terror, most of the time it is used in the Bible, it means to revere or to respect. It means to hold someone in awe. Fear. So fear in the context of fear the Lord in Proverbs isn't a negative connotation. It's supposed to be a positive connotation. When we fear the Lord, we don't cower from Him in terror. We don't shrink and say, oh my gosh, God is mad at me and I need to hide myself from Him. But we do revere Him for who He is. Moses, when he brought down the Ten Commandments from Mount Sinai, and there was thunder and lightning all around the mountain, and the people were scared to death, he said to them, don't be afraid. God's not going to strike you down. But he does say God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The fear of the Lord. When I was growing up, I feared my parents. Not that they were brutal or cruel or mean. I had very loving, nurturing parents. But I respected them and their authority. And I knew what would happen if I messed up. And I never did, but. And I, um, I didn't want to disappoint them. I didn't want to grieve them by my behavior, even though I did sometimes. Uh, it was a fear of love. I feared my parents. Think of fire. Um, we don't fear fire, but we do fear fire. 
On the one hand, we, we use it. We, we, we light candles. We bring it into our homes. We bring it into our lives. We burn. We light fireplaces. But fire is also something that if you mess with too much, it can really hurt you, right? It has great power, but at the same time, we get near it when we're cold. We want to be near fire. We've been vacationing in uh, Hawaii and then Southern California and saw a lot of beautiful beaches and then the oceans, beautiful Pacific Ocean. And isn't the ocean wonderful? We just love to see it. We love to be around it. But you know what? The ocean is fierce, too. And there were many places where warnings were posted and they were telling people, be careful of the current today. Be careful of the swell because it has great power and it can hurt you. You need to respect the boundaries of the ocean. Think of the police. Now, we don't, we're not scared of the police. I mean, if we go outside after this service and we see a police car, we're not going to freak out. Uh, we even call the police sometimes into our homes, into our lives, because we need their help. But have you ever been flying down I-215 and you see the Utah Highway Patrol, you know how they kind of hide their cars off to the side? And he's got his radar. And what do you do when you see that highway patrol? You know, you put on the brakes or you immediately slow down and everybody else does too. Why? Because we fear the highway patrol. We know that that patrol person can give us a ticket, pull us over. We need to obey the law. To fear the Lord is to respect the Lord. It is to acknowledge who he is. It is to acknowledge his place and authority in our lives. It is to be rightly related to him. It is to concern ourselves and all of our lives with him and bring it before him. It is to understand his love as well as his wrath. It is to understand his mercy as well as his judgment. It is to understand his friendship as well as his distance. But unlike fire, unlike ocean, unlike the Utah police, God loves us. The fear of the Lord is a relational thing. We are his people. We are the people of his pasture. He cares for us. And everything that happens in the fear of the Lord, he wants to bring good into our lives. Even when he disciplines us. Just like my parents, when they were disciplining me, they were doing it for my good. He cares about us. Proverbs insists, if you want to find wisdom, if you want to know how to live, if you want to do it right, if you want to be happy, if you want to know how to talk with people, if you want to have healthy relationships and keep away from the things that can mess you up, then fear the Lord. Draw a line. Picture it this way. Fearing the Lord is drawing a line from every part of my life, every part of my life, and drawing a line right back to God and connecting it with him. Now, later in Proverbs, this motto is repeated, and it says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You want to be wise? Know and understand who God is, what He's like, how He works. The prophet Hosea insisted that Israel's major flaw was their lack of understanding who God was. In Jeremiah, God says this. He says, let the person boast, boast in this, that she knows me. 
that that person knows that I am the Lord who exercises kindness and justice and righteousness on the earth. And we read that one of the characteristics of the early church, those first believers, we read in the Bible, it says, they walked in the fear of the Lord. Proverbs tells us that a person lives rightly only from a knowledge of God. Knowing who he is, what he's like. And when we fear the Lord, we're aware how all the aspects of our lives, our marriages, the way we talk, the way we spend our money and our time matters to God. Henrietta Mears was the director of Christian education for many, many years and many, many years ago at Hollywood Presbyterian Church in Southern California. She was a mentor and very influential in, in, in the lives of some great Christian leaders. Bill Bright, who started Campus Crusade, Reverend Billy Graham. Uh, she started Gospel Light Publications. Henrietta Mears said of Proverbs, in Proverbs, godliness is practical. You want to please God? You don't have to be supernatural all the time. You don't have to live on some kind of super spiritual plane. The great thing about Proverbs is it's just about the stuff we deal with all the time, 24 hours a day. You know, we think we're living for God only when we're in church or only when I'm praying. I can't find a verse about prayer in Proverbs. But I find a lot about some other stuff. The wisdom we find here is just everyday, moment-by-moment kind of stuff. And the practice, it's laid out so clearly, it doesn't take a lot to figure this stuff out. I mean, listen to, take this for example. Here's a proverb, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 17. The person who heeds discipline shows the way to life. But whoever ignores correction leads others astray. Who doesn't understand that? Uh, Proverbs 14, 30. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. 17.1, one more. Better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Makes a lot of sense. And it doesn't take a degree from Harvard to get this stuff. The challenge in Proverbs isn't understanding what it says. It's often doing what it says and making that happen in our lives. Proverbs is very theological. Every aspect of life is set in relationship to God and his rules for the world. This is the thing, folks. This is the thing. We think the most basic stuff of our life oftentimes has nothing to do with God. We think that, you know, unless it's prayer, unless it's a miracle, unless it's, uh, we're having revelations, unless it's Sunday church, then it probably doesn't have anything to do with God. And so we separate our financial investments, the way we shop, our home life, the way we talk to people, uh, our attitudes when someone corrects us. We separate that from God. We don't think he has anything to do with these things. Well, Proverbs says, wrong. God has everything to do with those things, and he has something to say about them. Proverbs is occupied with that daily life and the role of God in every detail. Are you a parent? Proverbs has something to say about how you raise your children. Are you a spouse? Proverbs has something to say about how you should treat your husband or your wife. Are you rich? Poor? In between? God has something to say about wealth. How do you talk to your friends, your acquaintances, your co-workers? Matters to God. 
And he has some good guidance on how to speak with everybody. How do you use your time? God has something to say about that too. Let me close by reading from Proverbs chapter 3. Because this is a proverb maybe you've heard. And you know it's from Proverbs. Maybe it's the most well-known part of Proverbs. Chapter 3 verse 5. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he will make your paths straight. Knowing how to live well and getting it right begins with the fear of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we want to live well. And we need wisdom in these confusing, dark, shallow days. You have said that if we ask for it, you will give it to us and generously. Make Proverbs a door for us to discover the wisdom you want us to have. Make us godly and make our godliness practical. In the name of Jesus, in whom all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden. Amen.